This is episode 31 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Five Symptoms Your Gut Health Is Off, Heal Your Gut Naturally, Prepping with Pets, Evacuating Animals, and How Can I Store Food Storage in a Small Home. Hey, my name is Todd Sepulveda. I'm the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you this is the last day to submit your garden pictures. And remember, again, it doesn't matter if you have your garden already set up. Um, you know, just whatever whatever your garden situation looks like. If you're, you know, even living in an apartment and you're going to be container gardening or you just have one plant or what, whatever your situation looks like. If you're on a homestead, if you have raised garden beds in the back, maybe you're not even started yet. I know there's still a lot of you up north who uh, you really haven't put into the ground yet. That's fine. Actually, I do have one that's just you know, kind of snow covered. And so, uh, you know, go ahead and just send them in. And what we want to do is in a couple of weeks, maybe about four weeks, three or four weeks from now, do it again and submit and then kind of see where we are. I think that's always good. And you always get, you know, a picture they say is worth a thousand words. And you, you get some uh, just some good information, some good ideas from seeing what people do. So I'm going to link to the Garden Picture uh, post on episode 31 show notes on the episode 31 show notes and so you can kind of get to that and then you just you just send me an email uh it's on the sidebar of the proper website podcast.com all right so let's go ahead and get started this first article comes to us from melissaknorris.com again that's melissaknorris.com melissa has a she has a big following on on social media she has a podcast she's doing facebook live videos uh, and so, you know, recently I did listen to her podcast. So if you're looking for another podcast to listen to, you, you want to go check her out. Um, she did a, a podcast on uh, containers, you know, for, for planting. And a lot of, just a lot of various different types of containers and great ideas for you out there. And so uh, it's definitely worth a listen to. But uh, the cool thing is that this was coming off of a Facebook Live that she did. And so she was able to grab the, the video or grab the audio off of the video and able to incorporate that into her podcast. And so there's a lot of good things going on in her, uh, you know, in her realm. And this article, I think, is very, very, uh, very important for us because I think a lot of the times our food, the food that we take in, it just really, we're not always eating good food. And so we need to make sure that our, our gut is taken care of and our gut is processing food and, and uh, taking care of what it's supposed to take care of and uh, that we're taking care of it. So I know I'm repeating myself there, but let's go ahead and get into this one because this is good. Five symptoms your gut health is off. Heal your gut naturally. All right, let's go ahead and get started on this one. I didn't realize my health was really out of whack until it got so bad I had to have my stomach and esophagus biopsied before I turned 30. Being in your 20s and having to take prescription medications up to six times a day is a huge clue that something isn't working properly. It wasn't until I got the diagnosis that I didn't have cancer yet, but that the cells were changing that I finally made the change to start my gut healing journey. I'm not a doctor, nurse, or trained medical professional, but I do know that the medications weren't healing me. In fact, they couldn't even mask the symptoms. The only way I was able to find healing, get off, and stay off for over seven years, the meds, was to get my gut in line by the foods I put into my body. 
Um, let's see. So signs your gut health is off. Heartburn and, and stomach acid. This was the biggest one for me. The heartburn was so bad I couldn't sleep at night. It was like liquid lava running up through the middle of my rib cage. It got to the point nothing helped, and I mean nothing. Many people will experience heartburn if they eat a certain food, but for me, I had heartburn after eating first thing in the morning, even if it was only a banana, which leads right into the next one. Food sensitivities. If you find yourself sensitive to certain foods, it may mean your gut health needs some attention. For me, this includes coffee. This was the hardest to give up, let me tell you. Soda pop, high fructose corn syrup, soy products, sugar, and grains, though I'm fine on ancient grains, pay attention to the way you feel after eating. Do you retain water, feel bloated, increase in inflammation, break out in a rash or redness, excessive gas, excessive stomach acid? All of these are signs your body may not be tolerating that food. Weak immune system. We now know that over 70% of the immune system lives in the gut source. There's a source link there. If, you consistently, uh, if you're consistently sick or feeling run down, it may be your immune system is weak and could benefit from a healthier gut. Autoimmune diseases. Three years ago, I began suffering hypothyroidism, low thyroid. I've been on a prescription thyroid medication for almost two years, but only just recently learned that thyroid disease is an autoimmune disease. Other autoimmune diseases are Crohn's, rheumatoid arthritis, and Hashimoto's. Studies are showing that autoimmune diseases are related to the gut source. Gut allergies? Scientists found links between allergies and autoimmune here. So again, just like always, a lot of great links that you want to go to, uh, to you know, on on these articles that I'm reading. Uh, going on, ir- continuing on, irregularity or constipation. I know, I know, no one wants to talk about that thing we do every day or aren't doing every day if you suffer from the latter. While how often depends on a person, generally once to twice a day and every other day are ideal. On the Bristol stool chart, between a three and a four are the best spots. So ways to heal your gut naturally. Clean up your food. I cut out high GMO and pesticide crops such as soy, corn, canola, alfalfa, cotton, and sugar beets. Recently, the FDA approved GMO apples and potatoes. Sigh. Cut out trigger foods. I know this is harder than it sounds, but cut out common trigger items like caffeine, grains, gluten, dairy, sugar, and GMOs. See how you feel and slowly reintroduce one food at a time and see how your body handles it. For me personally, I'm okay with ancient grains in fermented or aged organic dairy. Bring on the fermented rich foods. Here we're talking traditionally fermented vegetables with live bacteria. Kombucha, yogurt, and kefir, kefir. These are teeming with good live bacteria. Easily make your own homemade yogurt here with just two ingredients and no appliances needed. Bone broth. Bone broth from grass-fed organic animals and vegetables have nutrients, collagen, gelatin, and amino acids. This study has found that people with inflammatory bowel disease have decreased level of collagen 4. Homemade bone broth is frugal and oh so healthy. Make your own bone broth here. Resources for gut healing. You can get the full story and the steps I took to heal my body in the Made From Scratch Life, Simple Ways to Create a Natural Home, including the steps I took, how I revamped our pantry and home to walk you through reclaiming your health and food. 
the Made From Scratch Life Companion Guide and Workbook. This companion guide is free when you purchase the book and filled with worksheets. Pantry inventories, meal planning charts, recipe cards, sample menu plans, easy ingredient substitutions, equivalent charts, root cellar storage charts, and more. All right. So great article, I think, from from MelissaKNorris.com. I think that as we continue to just eat the food that's out there, we're going to, um, you know, we're going to see a lot of these things. I think a lot of the, the things that we we go to the doctor for, a lot of the things that we deal with on a daily basis that we just feel like junk, has to deal with our, you know, with the way that we eat and that our our body is not doesn't have what it really needs to take care of itself. So go check this out. There's a lot of links here uh, that you wanna you wanna look at, and uh, just a, another good article um, to to take care of this. I, I've been I don't want to do too much commentary here, but I've been making my own kombucha too, and that's just, it's just so easy to make. Just like she was talking about the yogurt there, and it's just you know definitely worth it. All right, moving right along, we're looking at uh, the prepperjournal.com. This article article is called "Prepping with Pets: Evacuating with Animals." And uh, I think if you're if you own animals, whether you you just own a pet or you are on a homestead and you have you know bigger animals, it's something definitely that you need to think about. Uh, a lot of us who are in the preparedness community, we have animals, and so um, it, it's something that you should you know you have these animals. You you've taken the responsibility to 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 have them and to take care of them, and that means even when you need to evacuate. And so one of the things that kind of caught my attention here. Is there's a picture from Houston? Uh, I live in in the you know in the suburbs of Houston, and we had a flood last year that uh, that really shut us down for a whole week. And so uh, you know a lot of y'all know that I'm in education. I work for the uh, for the school district, and we had a lot of schools that were damaged. And out here we had a lot of we've had a lot of woods. Um, you know, it, 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 but it's been growing. And so they've been chopping down all those woods. They've been, you know, adding concrete and building neighborhoods. And, uh, you know, so all that rain, when it rains really, really hard, it doesn't have anywhere to go or with the bios and the creeks start overflowing and they don't have anywhere to seep into. And if you're in an area where there's been a lot of construction, you might be feeling that as well. It's pretty sad when you're when you're driving around Houston and you see all these humongous retention ponds that they're building and the only reason they're building these is is to funnel the water there temporarily until they're able to go down because if not they would flood all all the neighborhoods. I mean my parents' neighborhood flooded three times the the county finally came in and, and bought all these homes and when you go into that neighborhood now it's just a neighborhood and there's there's some people who have not sold out so it's like uh you know one uh one house on a block and it's all it's kind of cool actually now because it's all like grass and so you have these big fields and stuff but uh, it just it doesn't look like a regular neighborhood but also out here where i live it's it's not um so you have your neighborhoods, but you also have big plots of land. So it's it's not uncommon to drive down the, the road and coming out of your neighborhood. And in fact, I, I I mean it's just two or three minutes away from me. I come out of my neighborhood and I take a right, and I have uh, there's people who own horse barns and, and different. Actually, in my neighborhood at the back of my neighborhood there is a horse barn, and so if you have horses, you can keep them back there. And so uh, you know during during the the storm and the rain, it does flood back there in the back. People were evacuating their animals, and so this is important. So uh, some things to think about, and also some things that I've never really considered, because uh, I just, you know, I, we have a little dog, 
but uh, something, to, you know, if those of you who have bigger animals, something to consider. So let's go ahead and get into this one. Whether they're solely companion animals or serve some level of function, many of us have animals. In some cases, they are members of our families as well as partners. Having accepted responsibility for them, simple companion, paddock pony, pet horses, livestock guardian donkeys, and llamas, barn cats, or working dogs of various types, we are responsible for their welfare in a disaster. I'll start with some of, some of the tough situations first and then list some tips for evacuating with animals or temporarily surrendering them to a shelter for a natural disaster. When it comes to disaster planning for pets and livestock, we tend to have a lot of choices in North America, especially in the United States. More and more human shelters are accepting crated and kenneled animals. Animal shelters and rescues also accept cats, dogs, and other small companion animals in advance of hurricanes or when flood evacuations occur, our orders are issued. ASPCA barnyards will commonly work with owners as well, given enough of a heads up. We have enough advanced warning of storms and even wildfires, wildfires to some degrees to heighten awareness and choose to evacuate them if it looks at all sketchy. There are a few steps we can take to make evacuations a little easier. One thing we should not do ever is leave them to fend for themselves. Whether we think we'll be back in a couple of days or we're thinking of setting them free or dumping them on somebody's property. If we evacuate, we need to evacuate our animals. Following every major hurricane and regularly after fires out west, people flood shelters and helplines because they've left pets and companion animals behind. And now roads are closed or completely washed out, bridges are missing, and roads are blocked by downed trees. Private and public funded rescue organizations go out in force to try to save as many as they can, but animals perish. In some cases, they wind up far from home, never identified, and never adopted. Sometime on the phone ahead of a disaster, attention to weather news and pre-packing for animals can mitigate some of the complications and make it possible for us to get our animals out of harm's way before highways and roads become clogged or impassable. If we act early, we can also work through local shelters and rescues to leave our animals with them while we evacuate or take refuge in a storm shelter. In a long-term disaster, stray animals are almost guaranteed to increase in number. In some cases, it will be because they got lost and without infrastructure were never returned. Unaltered animals will increase and then further multiply, adding to the loose animal populations. And then there will be the people who dump the animals. Nine times out of ten, a pet is ill-equipped to survive on its own. A cat that seems to be an excellent hunter and one that is already outdoors may seem like a good candidate to take off somewhere and leave to fend for itself. Don't. There are a lot of ways to die in this world, especially for animals, many of them slow and painful. They'll be in competition with other animals. Coyotes and cougars already kill and consume even sizable canines every year, deeper and deeper into residential areas. Livestock owners are going to be totally justified in shooting animals that could menace their own either through predation or the spread of disease. It's already heartbreaking enough common for people to dump dogs and cats across a gate in rural properties, especially if they see they are already dogs or cats. Resist that temptation too. One, a lot of us in rural areas have dogs that double as flocks and herd protection. 
Those dogs will attack and kill strange animals, especially if the newcomer chases or bristles up at them. Two, if put the strange cat, dog, bird, or goat at risk of fighting with existing dominant animals or a whole pack of them, and it puts our animals at risk, makes us pay for meds and vet bills after a fight, even if there's no death. Three, some of us have donkeys that will stomp a canine and even the odd cat to death. Our dogs know how to avoid them, or we have a hotline or fence you may not see to keep them separate. Four, chances are good we are already at our carrying capacity for animals, well ahead of a crisis and have not planned to feed an additional dog or cat or five. That means we're left with the sad duty somebody else is dodging and have to take it to a shelter now or in the future, may have to choose between chasing it away and hoping it doesn't starve to death or run afoul of a local stray pack and killing it so that at least it doesn't suffer anymore. Those are sucky choices. They're really sucky to lay at somebody else's feet. We need to plan to do the responsible thing and take care of our animals ourselves. In other scenarios with no shelter, rescues, vets available, the kindest thing we can do will be to cull our herd and or euthanize our companion animals. Personally, I think everybody who considers getting livestock or a companion animal should have to volunteer at a shelter. They might weigh out the financial and emotional costs associated with animals and the trials of disaster planning and recovery for them a little more closely. There should be a lifelong commitment to that animal and to treating even livestock respectfully. No matter how well we plan, our companion animals will end up with low quality of life from age, disease, or severe injury. With any luck, we've considered that and are prepared to end their suffering. In most situations we'll face, there will still be options. Some pre-planning and supplies can prevent the need to choose between keeping a healthy animal and leaving it at a shelter permanently or long-term, or having to euthanize at home due to widespread long-term crises that leave them slowly starving. It's not the easiest thing with multiple animals, especially large livestock, but just as we have bobs and evac kits, multiple methods of evacuation, and plans for our families, we need to have the same for the critters in our lives. When the authorities say it's time to go, go. Yes, sometimes to regularly it's, a, it's no big deal. There's a lot of moving parts with animals though, especially large livestock. Hotels and campgrounds that accept dogs and cats are more common now, but in an evacuation they'll be getting picked over, especially with livestock. Whether it's fire or flood, risk, don't delay. Waiting too long puts animals and rescuers at risk after the fact. It's easier and safer for everyone just to get them out early. If we have livestock that won't fit in the back seat or pickup bed, we need a trailer. It's almost that simple to me. We need something we can rig with a ramp and cattle fencing even, and we need to train livestock to ascend and descend. Horses, goats, and cattle are lost in every wildfire from Fort Mac to California and Arizona because they won't load when seconds and minutes count. People in Fort Mac were supposed to have been safe, so some of the ones who ran out of fuel and rode their horses out or lost the seniors and slow ones to lung damage later have an excuse. But by and large, we can pay enough attention to cut and run. If we have to call around finding trailers and vans first, we're already behind the curve. If we have cats and dogs, we need to socialize them and we need to train them to go on trips or to load in crates too. If we have multiple small companions, sheep or goats, it may be absolutely necessary that we have enough crates and kennels on hand to move them at once. 
and thus a vehicle or trailer capable of holding those crates and kennels even if we have to stack them. Animals that are friendly when loose may become aggressive with each other when stressed and overtired. One trick is to keep cardboard, plywood, or blankets on hand that we can arrange around over and between crates if we need them. The visual barriers can help keep the peace. Attach information about the animal to, to the animal as well as to their crate or trailer. For dogs and cats and even goats, there might be a collar or harness with a standard tag on it. On, the, on their leads, crates, or trailers, attach a large card or sheet that cased in plastic with primary and secondary contact information and a second point of contact. Note, any behavioral issues or medical needs, it can help keep others and the animal safe. If the animal is being surrendered to a shelter temporarily, include the same and make sure there are updated photos for claiming them after the disaster. There is livestock marking ink that can be used to write a name or number or both or even medium or on even medium or large dogs as well as hoofstock. In an evacuation scenario, it's not a terrible idea to use them. So there's a picture here of a horse that has a phone number written on it and then actually the name of the owner. I think that's a pretty smart idea. For smaller animals, it's easier to have a pre-cut stencil that says baby Paris and then number, number, number and color the fur through it with the sticks of spray. Just like humans, animals should have a go bag or a go kit. When I had larger animals, hefty rolling trash cans that I could lash to the very front or the very back of the trailers or run off the porch into my tailgate and pickup bed were handy. I could carry several days of grain, feed, or set of tack, electric fencing, and battery or batteries, long lines and short leads, shipping blankets and booties, and the old man's old horse mash mix and supplements in a couple of trash cans. I also had a rolling trash can with a portion cut out near the bottom and a board blocking the hole that I could fill with hay and bring with us. Then just haul down after a square bell and a quarter if I needed to. Both the ponies and the goats could, could feed from it. They were easy to grab and preload if things started looking iffy so that I could just load the animals when we made the call to cut and run. For smaller companion animals or just a couple of goats, life can get even easier. Several days of water and or food and or dishes can just wait around in coolers. Coolers lose some space efficiency, but they're nice and sturdy and usually make handy seats and umbrella props. They can also be made water resistant pretty easily with a roll of duct tape. Rolling luggage and storage totes offer a lot of the same advantages. With kits pre-packed and ready to go, all we do is rotate the contents. As with humans, they'll need shelter and water, which can be, wow, painful for a large stock. Research the area and contact the ASPCA or Humane Society, Sheriff's Department, or Animal Rescues within your county and area to find out if they have ideas or resources you can tap. Do it well in advance of an emergency. There are some parks that do still allow livestock. Allow options. Another, sorry, another option is to work through the county extension, Farm Bureau and county co-ops to find somebody at 2050, 150, 300 mile intervals who would be willing to let you camp on the properties and pump or haul water. And just, uh, just an idea that I had as I was reading that, uh, our school district has, because we have a big FFA program, has, um, you know, uh, 
barns all over the place and uh, so stalls and all kinds of stuff so that might be one too if you're going and you're you're evacuating to a school and you you know a school district might have a, an ffa program they might have some stalls that you can rent out or that you can house your your animals there uh, just an idea all right so it can be difficult to deal with everything in the moment of a crisis there are 55 things to remember and to do and load make a checklist to make it easier and have a way to stick it right up right up by the door. When we make our list and plans, hopefully we're preparing for our animals. With any luck, we're taking them into consideration for the everyday and seasonal annual occurrences that strike our modern world regularly. Planning for long-term care of pets and livestock can be difficult, especially if we're not yet where we want to be for our human families. It needs to be done though. Like our children, our animals are helpless in a world we create for them. They count on us to be the responsible party. Sometimes that can mean we have hard choices and tough actions that we need to be ready to take. Just like in our modern world, at some point, a working animal or companion is going to be gray and pained, overcome by tumors, or crippled with disease or injury. Right now, and in a lot of situations, shelters are available if we have no recourse left. If we're planning on some uh, WROL, or raw uh, nation-altering event, we need to plan to deal with those scenarios ourselves. All right, so good information, something that you don't always think about. You have bug out bags for yourself and evac kits for yourself. Definitely your animals. That's something that you know to be responsible for. And again, pictures of uh, the Houston SPCA here rescuing trapped horses just not too far away from my house when all that went down. All right, let's go ahead and go on to the, to the last article. This last article comes to us from Food Storage Moms. And it is, uh, how can I store food storage in a small home? And so I really like this article just for the, you know, like I said earlier, a picture gives you, you know, uh, it can speak a thousand words. So you get ideas from looking at what other people are doing. And so Linda has uh, taken some pictures of her food storage and how she handles it. And maybe we'll give you some ideas of how you can handle it. Uh, you know, this actual, this this question, this topic came up uh, today, you know, after church, and we were eating with some friends, and we were talking about that, um, because, you know, Linda doesn't have a very big home, I don't have a very big home either, and food storage is always, you know, the issue is always uh, the actual storage of it, you know, where are you going to put it? So, let's go ahead and start reading this article. Have you sometimes wondered how can I store food storage in a small home? Well, I have a fairly small home, it's only 1,900 square feet. I'm going to show you my home in small doses because otherwise the post would take too long to load. I have a three-car garage, if you can call it a three-car garage, with a narrow one-car section. You can barely fit two very small cars in the double garage and one car in the third stall. Mark and I use the third garage section for our emergency preparedness items that can withstand the heat in the summer. Everything else is stored inside my home. The temperature here in southern Utah can get up to 120 degrees in the summer. So all food items we keep inside where the temperature is, is controlled. The ideal temperature for food storage would be 50 to 70 degrees. I, I can't afford to keep the temperature this low, so my food storage will not last the full 25 years per some cans. Just giving you the heads up here. I love watching the TV shows that talk about tiny houses. If I didn't have food storage or emergency preparedness items, I could easily live in one of those. My husband, Mark, not so much. So here we stay because my passion is being prepared for the unexpected. 
I started taking pictures of some of my preparedness items and realized I will have to write two or three posts to show you how you can store food storage and emergency preparedness items. I have received several emails asking me, where do you store your food storage, Linda? I've been asked to speak to a few groups in September, which is National Emergency Preparedness Month. So I decided to hire a professional photographer to take pictures of all my stuff as I pulled them out of the plastic protector bags. I can no longer haul all of my emergency preps or food storage to classes where I teach, so now I will bring pictures and make a slideshow. I'm going to start with my basic food storage items that I must have in order to make freshly ground whole wheat bread for Mark and I, and I every two weeks or so. So my, my first must-have item are my wheat grinders. The one on the far left is by far the best electric wheat grinder I have ever used. This one is available at one of my favorite stores, Pleasant Hill Grain. The middle one I have used for years and is available at most stores, Nutramil Classic, uh, 760200 High Speed Grain Mill, 1200 Watt, 5 Cups Per Minute. The Red Hand Wheat Grinder I purchased from a company in Montana. They are handmade and you can grind hard white wheat from coarse to fine whole wheat flour. It does many things with a lot of hand power. The, with a lot of hand power. The grain maker made in the U.S. So there's links there for you. Next, I'm sharing a picture of my Bosch bread mixer. I can keep my grocery bill down without making bread. Sometimes Costco has them on display for a greater price. The Bosch Universal Plus Stand Mixer, 800 watt, 6.5 quart. If you can lead to, if you can learn to make bread, you can survive most any disaster. I used to make bread by hand with a huge silver bowl. I love making bread and teaching others how to make it. Now this is my hard white wheat that I store in my guest room next to the bedroom wall. Now if I had children living at home, this wouldn't work. The kids need room to play. But at least you can see how I store my wheat. It's too hot to store wheat in my garage. So she's got tons of, of pails there, buckets on wheat. I traded out my old shelf reliance rolling racks because I couldn't see exactly what I had. It was driving me crazy. So I bought these shelves online at Costco. They're 72 inches tall by 18 inches deep and 48 inches wide. I bought the heavy duty wheels that go with them and I use bungees to keep the canned goods secured to the shelves. I will show the old shelves I used to have below. They took up way too much room and I like to see at a glance what I need to grab. If I had a basement with built-in shelves, I would love it. But this house does not have a basement, so there you have it. So again, pictures are, you know, you get to see all her pictures and what she has there. The picture below is my grandchildren's guest bedroom lined with two sets of bunk beds. Under each bunk bed, I have several cases of food storage stashed neat and tidy. These were my old shelves, which worked fine, but they took up too much room in the grandkids' guest bedroom. We used to roll them out into our bedroom when we had guests, but that was getting tiresome, so we switched them out. I like the new ones much better. Take a walk around your house and see if you can stash some extra cans above the refrigerator. You know the cabinets we can't reach. Do you have any shelves in your closets that could be used for some cases of food? What, what about the coffee table? Do you have side tables that are empty? Fill them with a few cans of beans. If you have a hall closet with a shelf above it, add some cases there. What about under your bed? As I'm writing this, I'm starting to feel like a hoarder. I'm not a hoarder, just a chick that's not going to stand in line at a grocery store for food or water after a disaster. Would I love a basement or one whole room for food storage? I sure would. But I have a small home and we are making it work to store food storage, one can at a time. May God bless you for your efforts to 
to be to prepare for the unexpected. We're going to need to be prepared, I promise. I agree with you, Linda. We are going to need to be prepared. And so I like the fact there is that you just you find you work with what you have, you find what you can do. You know, a lot of the times on shelves, we 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 take the shelf, but then there's still a lot of space above that. And so you can just very easily, you don't even have to do any real work. You can just put two pieces of wood on one side and then another little shelf on top of that. And you can just continue stacking up on that if you if you need space. But uh, just finding, you know, uh, all the space that you can in, in using that. And you still need to be able to rotate your food out and different things like that. So you might want to kind of keep a little diagram or a list of, hey, I have food here and there. But definitely, I think that's, you know, that's important. We should be, that's the easiest thing to do right now. Food, and so I'm going to close with this. Food will never be cheaper than it is right now. All right. Food will never be cheaper than it is right now. All With what's going on in the world and things that are happening, the only thing that food is going to do is going to increase in price. And so whatever you can do right now, it's kind of you're, you're saving money. It's an investment, definitely, especially if you are rotating. Don't get to the point where you're putting food away and then you're, you're throwing it away. That's just a waste. But if you're rotating it, and every, everything that you buy right now is an investment. All right, guys. That's it for uh, episode 31. Again, go ahead and, and visit all these all these websites because they have uh, great links that you can go link to and then articles uh, or the pictures in the articles that are, I think are very valuable. I will have all the links to them in episode 31 and you can just bounce off of those and go straight to them. Hey, if you get a chance, come by the, the website and uh, you know drop me a line or connect with me on social media. Um, I usually answer all the social media. Someone's you know contacting me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you know I love to connect with other people. So there you have it until tomorrow and we'll have more preparedness items tomorrow, more articles tomorrow. And in the meantime, if you are looking for more preparedness stuff, um, articles and, and links and man, just whatever you're looking for, we have it over at prepperwebsite.com. You can find anything you need. And so if you, uh, if you want some, some more preparedness, go on over to prepperwebsite.com. And uh, I promise you there'll be a, an article there that would be of interest to you in one way or the other. So until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.